0: Carl Jung said, Awaken and shine your light for others to follow. The privilege of a lifetime is to become who you truly are. This is an invitation to move differently in the world, to operate from a place of deep knowing and alignment. I'm Adrienne McDonald, and welcome to the Source Code Podcast. Let's dive in. beautiful humans and welcome back or welcome if it's your first time. Grab your coffee or your favorite tea and let's get into the what the muse has for us today. Today we have a special treat because we have a special guest. You have heard him on the podcast before. He is my partner in all the things, James Nettles. I will let him introduce himself because he does it so much better than I do.
1: Hi, this is Jim. Um, so I am partner in all things and all crimes, um, some of which should or shouldn't be held against me, but we'll see how that goes. Uh, By day, I do a lot of business and technology consulting work, all sorts of fun stuff. Um, I'm also an author, writer, uh, do a lot of services work, a lot of consulting in that space too. But basically, we're going to be talking, I think, a lot about the impact of fiction. And I write both fiction, nonfiction, media, kind of all the fun stuff. So we're going to kind of combine all this, I think, into one big world tonight.
0: Well, the reason why this came up was I was in a class, and one of my classmates and I were discussing um, what do you do to – what are some of the things that you look at if you feel off? He was asking me this question. And I told him, I said, well, one of the first things that I do if I'm feeling off and – not focused, or I'm not particularly happy, or I just I just feel like something's not right, is look at what I'm reading. And I read four or five things at one time, um, but I find that if I don't have a fiction book in the mix, something just doesn't work for me. And he was really surprised by this. He's like, you look at what you're reading? And I'm like, yeah, because it really, really, really impacts me. And he said, that's super interesting. And then you and I had a conversation about this. And that sort of led to a deeper exploration, if you will, of how fiction can impact us in a very very positive way. And I was sharing about um something that I've read from Daniel Lieberman around fairy tales in particular are what are really important to children as they're being brought up because uh he says that Psychologists theorize that more learn moral behavior through narrative rather than internalized, internalizing abstract rules. Rules provide generalizations, which can be difficult for young children to understand and apply. Stories, by contrast, illustrate moral rules via characters the child can identify with. When faced with a specific moral problem, such as whether to tell the truth about breaking a dish, a child that loves the movie Frozen doesn't ask, what do the rules say? A child who loves the movie says, what would Anna do? The child uses exp- uh, experiential instead of rational processing. And this, this research that has been done around people that are telling stories, you have a storyteller and you have a listener, they've actually done brain scans and you can tell the parts of the brain that are lighting up as the person is, is telling the story They're they're becoming part of it. And I think that that this is really, really interesting. It's called mind meld because the storyteller, it, it, it activates their neural entertainment, so to speak. But what I thought was really interesting to, I think this is, some of the conversation that we were having is, this is why, like, you have those timeless stories, right?
1: Well, I I think there's a couple of things that, that come into play. And fundamentally, story and fiction and all the great old myths. I mean, Aesop's fables. I mean, we we all kind of get started with those early fairy tales because we can learn by allegory. Ideally, we get to learn from other people's experiences, other people's mistakes, and as we, for those people that read a lot as kids, or you're exposed to a lot of fictional material as kids, most of what we see and get is is some form of allegory the authors and the creators that work on those those stories, especially modern YA fiction, new adult fiction, things like this, it allows people to go through and experience stories. It allows people to experience life through other people's shoes. But it also allows you to discover emotions. It allows you to explore ideas that maybe you haven't thought of or maybe things you're not comfortable with but do them in a way that is safe, it's secure. But at the same time, if we look at how we treat story overall as a species, right? Story is what connects all of us. And part of the power of fiction and part of the power of good fiction is because even though it is not factual, it's not a historical revelation of what may have happened, if it's told right, it's something that all of us have an ability to connect with. It's the ability all of us have to experience something in a way that we've never had before. It's the power where um, sometimes we do get to go explore those things that make us uncomfortable, or maybe carry us back to very comfortable situations. It's it, but the power of fiction truly is all about creating an experience that you can go through and encounter when you want to and when you need to. And I think this is one of those things that reading things to put you in a certain mood is very effective. Because if something's well written, the language will take you and put you in a place a time with characters and people that Sometimes you just need to feel that level of com- comfort and camaraderie. Um, sometimes it leads you to that sense of family. Sometimes it just leads you on a sense of adventure or romance or whatever the, the case is that you happen to be into at that point.
0: Well, what's interesting is I remember, and I was an avid reader when I was a kid, and particularly I loved um, like the Little House on the Prairie books. I loved uh, uh, Judy Blume's books. I loved... Um, uh, the Nancy Drew series and i was reflecting on back like what was the impact on that for me and as a as a kid like link, the the Laura Ingalls Wilder books i i, I felt like that you know, that I might have it rough, but I wasn't living out in the wilderness and, you know, suffering through mice getting in my house and curling up on my father's head. You know, that was one of the scenes that like really sticks out of me. And them going to the store and, and sugar was like this really big deal. And it just sort of made me appreciate what I did have, even though we were having rough times. And Nancy Drew always, like, I loved her sense of curiosity and her wanting to, like, figure things out and and explore and, and and that sort of thing. And Judy Bloom's books always made me feel like that awkward phases that I wasn't alone in those awkward phases. But as I grew up and continued to read as an adult and 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 do now, it's this this world building. I just noticed that when I rotate out and I don't have those fiction books in the mix, that I'm not as I'm not as creative, of a problem solver, um, and I'm not as what I would say probably happy and more even keeled. And what I found another study that was really interesting is in in Lieberman's Spellbound book was that they. They uh, there's there's this test that uh, they can use to sort of read people's eyes. You're just showing the eyes, right? So it's like, okay, the eyes are the window to the souls is the expression. And they had the people read a piece of fiction, and then they had another set of people read a piece of nonfiction. And the people that read the fiction Were more accurate and more empathetic, which I thought was really, really interesting that that reading fiction makes you the research was showing that reading fiction makes you a more empathetic human.
1: Well, if we look at let's just go with a couple of fundamental stories and ideas that we've got, I will take just to be a little bit more current. Think about like the Harry Potter universe, right? Yeah. If you if you look at the reason that that has become a multi billion dollar enterprise and industry, when it started with somebody who was an unknown author scrambling and fighting to tell what is a very archetypical story of the orphan, you know, you see a bit of that. You know, the wicked stepmother and the aunt and uncle that he's being raised with. Um, you've got the the classical wizard mentor you've got a lot of the classical archetypical pieces, and that story though resonates with a lot of people because it's much deeper than that. The real bonds that get reflected and the relationships that people build as characters through the story feels like what you know kids young adults, even adults want to be able. To feel is that real, true, unshakable bond. Even though that bond may be tested, you want to see and feel that idea of the bond. You know, we we it gets marketed as the oh great, go play with magic and see the great battles and see all of these things. But underlying that are very fundamental archetypal mysteries to be solved. Um, you know, when you go through especially the earlier stories are a mystery to be deconstructed. And it's about watching the relationships uh, both within the tight friend groups that form as well as against the more adversarial characters is you see a lot of the typical, you know, school, the schoolyard sort of things that go on with kids learning to test boundaries and learning to trust people or not trust people and encounter and experience life and this those relationships while for the most part there's nothing really unique in the Harry Potter universe there's nothing that's original in the story it's the mechanics of it it's told well and it allows people to go on an you know a, a strong emotional ride as you go through the story and so looking and knowing you've got seven book arc all the things like this that go on well, it's your
0: typical hero's journey.
1: It's it's very and, much and that, that part.
0: and that's the quintessential story that is told, right? Right we and and it's done well in the fact that through the maturity it allows you to see the complexities of human nature, both the light and the dark, right? The, the you know
1: the and, negative and, and the positive. And it allows you to see in the well-told story, no hero is purely good. We right. all have flaws. It also uh, and but a well-written villain is also more important because you get to see and understand that they believe they're doing the right thing for whatever reason they're doing it. Right? They're the hero of their story. If you change the viewpoint, and to me, this is one of the points that it, that when you read the research. It's the ability to create that empathy, and that comes comes from seeing the viewpoint of not only your protagonist, but the antagonist.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And getting to stand in their shoes, and a really well-written antagonist is going to be somebody who you can at least understand their motivations.
0: And with that, do you believe a well-written antagonist has that whisper of perhaps they could be redeemed um
1: often yes but there are time I mean you don't want just the mustache twirling I'm evil for the sake of being evil that's boring most right. Of the time. right but sometimes you you if somebody's a well-written enough villain you can take the story and flip it 180 degrees and you would see, your protagonist as being the true villain of the story. Um, a lot of the time, you can take and flip those things very well. That the reason that the hero is the hero is because it's told from his perspective. We 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 like to see that struggling hero coming up. We like to see the rebellion. We like to see the the come up against someone that's perceived as being the big bad guy. But sometimes if you dig deeper into the big antagonist's reasons and all the rest of those moving pieces, you can discover all of a sudden that, that the protagonist of the story
0: really can also be the villain. I would agree with that. Because, I mean, there's there's some of even, like, the Marvel stuff that you could easily flip. I mean, Doctor Strange is one of probably my favorite Marvel movie. And I love it because I think it's a great transformation story. And for those, those uh, I have some clients that don't actually like to read things so I'll find movies or something along those lines and say, okay, go watch this movie from this lens and let's talk about like how this relates to your life or what you saw or what you got out of it, what nugget it you know, came up for you. And Doctor Strange is one that I love because you have this very arrogant, condescending, um, misogynistic sometimes individual that comes to realize that it isn't all about him. And he has that decision point where after he learns the skill set of being a sorcerer, then... He could use it for his own gain, or he could stay and and fight the good fight, as it were. And he makes the decision to do that, but he doesn't lose that edge. He's still pretty arrogant. He's still pretty arrogant. He could easily you could easily take another character in that story and tell it from their perspective and probably get something entirely different.
1: Well, I mean, all right, let's talk about Marvel for a minute because when you go through often enough and long enough arcs of Marvel stories, you frequently will see people flip back and forth between hero or villain. Right. Or right. anti heroes, right? It's the, right. the people that are doing what we perceive to be the right thing in the story, um, even though uh, their motivations could be questionable and their techniques and the ways they're, they're accomplishing the, the goal may be questionable but we we support their goals so therefore we will forgive a lot of transgressions that typically we wouldn't forgive for
0: somebody else right i tony stark comes to mind for a lot of people i love tony but i know that tony grates on a lot of people nerves in that regard
1: but i mean you can if you look at we'll take one of my personal favorites deadpool um, there are times that, you know, that Deadpool's character is, will go with a hero, but more most of the time is an anti-hero. But there have also been very times in some of the arcs where he's flipped to be the villain because of the the side that the story is being told from. And you look at some of the influences. So it's it's one of those things that often it's, are we empathizing with the person whose viewpoint we're being fed and it's that human side of things which allows us again, and I think this is the important part of fiction, it allows us to explore ideas and experiences that we would not want to live ourselves personally, but we can at least go through and feel like we've gone through that experience. And this is, this is why the hero's journey resonates with us so strong. It's because the hero's journey in many ways echoes the way life works. We have that, okay, today's going great you know, um, or maybe it's not, but whatever it is, this is my average day. Something happens. Something goes really wrong. We have that dark night of the soul and then we get to what the new normal is, right? We usually will figure some way out of it. It's often not necessarily the optimal, but the growth that we get out of that experience is often much more valuable than if we'd not have the difficult journey. Well, sometimes it's really minor stuff. Sometimes it's just simply the matter of I took something apart to fix it. It didn't go back together. I wound up buying something else but at least now understand what went wrong or maybe how I could have fixed something. Or maybe it's just that trial of something that There is no winning, but you have to go through that life experience, you know, the loss, you know, loss and grief, or maybe it's just simply something that causes you to have it's a trial, a test, something like that, that makes you have to grow and go forward from there. It's not that it's a, you know, it's not an existential crisis, it's not some great test that if you fail, you're going to die at the hands of the villain, but it can be sometimes very small things that feel huge in the moment, or maybe they're just frustrating in the moment. But this is one of the reasons that the hero's journey resonates is because in many ways it does emulate that life tends to work in its cycles.
0: I think that that probably explains the popularity of the phenomenal hit of The Alchemist, right? I mean, The Alchemist is one of the most popular fiction books out there. To the point where a lot of people don't even think it's fiction, right? Like it's it's it. The story pulls them in so much um, that I guess everyone can see a little piece of them within that, and I, I think that's why it was such a worldwide hit.
1: Well, when we look at often things that we now translate as classic stories, and The Alchemist is a a really good example of that. When we look at these fundamental stories, these fundamental journeys, it is good storytelling is what binds us in everything. I mean, if we look at the ideas of marketing, right? Good marketing is good storytelling. If we look at the ideas of training and teaching people, we can sit there all day long and tell somebody what to do. We can even maybe tell them a why. But if we can do things in a way that's at least somewhat experiential and in some way that allows people to feel more of that life experience while they're going through that, it will tend to stick with them much better. It's a much stronger learning experience.
0: Is and it. and that's been scientifically proven. I mean that we we know that to be true that if you can integrate that into the learning process, it's it's definitely stickier. People definitely have a higher retention rate. Well, and they're and they're also more apt to execute on whatever it is that they're learning as well. I mean, so this- when we look at this from a like from a practical standpoint, how what would you say are a couple of things that you do or that are directly an impact because of fiction?
1: Well, there's a couple of things. Um, one, of the, one of the bigger powers, and we talk about this with science fiction all the time, is science fiction does two things very well. Number one, it helps give people things to strive for, right? Whether it's warp drive, whether it is, you know, the communicators on Star Trek becoming flip phones, whether it's you know, Apple phones on watches going back to, um, and of course I j- um, just went blank. But it's an inspiration to to get people to think about. What are the technologies that we want to strive for? What would we have to do to get there? What would it take for me to um, get some of those, all the fun toys that we just get to see in fiction and things like this? And now we live in an age where many of those things have actually come to pass and been passed. Things that were, you know, pure straight up science fiction when I was a kid now are passe, passe. And the second big thing that we see come out of stories like second science fiction and whatnot are the warnings. It's the let us explore all of the possibilities if we do do something. Right, right, right. Now we've got all of the stuff happening with you know we're coming up really on a year of ChatGPT being in the mainstream. You know, really we've been a couple of years with everybody having. Exposure to generative AI in audio, video, gaming, storytelling, you know, writing for us and things like this. A lot of these are tools and things I've been dealing with for more than a decade, but most people have only are only now really becoming exposed to it. And we see the fear reaction. Um we see the the way people are responding and uh, you know in the writing community there's a lot of people that are are rightfully looking at this and horrified and terrified at the experience same thing with a lot of artists we're seeing a lot of intellectual property violations things like this well science fiction has incorporated a lot of these kinds of warnings for a while you know the idea of the terminators are going to take over the robots are going to take over my argument has been for a very long time in all likelihood, the first general AI that would come out would and get dropped into a robot is more than likely going to put on a seersucker suit and try to sell you something because it's going to have discovered <laughs> that consciousness because it was coming out of Amazon or something. Um, but those are a couple of the biggest things. So for me, the strength of fiction comes from processing things out from experiencing ideas from seeing how things are going to potentially play out in my head before you actually go to try to execute on them, do them. You know, reading fiction, writing fiction for me is one of those things that drives a lot of that processing in my head to see how are things going to happen, how are they going to play out. If you can learn to tell the story, then you can also have that experience in your head and look at all the options before you in a much easier way. And part of the reason for that, again, becomes if you understand story to a certain extent, if you read a lot of it, you read a lot of fiction, you experience it, whether you're reading it, watching it, listening to it, whatever the case may be. But, uh, you know, I was in a book that came out earlier this year, which is on fairy folklore and films. And I wrote about how the influences of fairy folklore worked their way into the 1984 version of Dune, right? We're talking about fairly hard, we'll, we'll be generous space opera, right? It's a movie I love. You either love it or you hate it. I'd read the books, all that kind of good stuff. But the influence on very primordial folklore, fairy folklore, and the influences it has had on much of what we see as hard science fiction is, is all something that resonates through cultural. And, you know, one of the last big benefits is for people that all know a common story, whether it's Star Wars or Lord of the Rings or you know, whatever series it is, if you all have a common base in that, then there are ways you can do comparisons and allegory And everybody having a common understanding of the situation. Um,
0: Do you you think that fiction is the way that people also? I don't want to say this. It gives them an opportunity to work out some of their cultural frustrations, and like cultural issue frustrations cuz i i i've noticed that we the the books that i've read probably over the last couple of years are really there there's been a an effort to sort of balance some of those things out but when i think about the stuff that i read as a kid it seems like it's always been there it's just i'm more I don't know if I notice it more now or, or what, but it just seems like there that's a, it's like you said, it's a good safe way to work some stuff out in someone's mind. It gives an opportunity to get a different perspective that they may not have had.
1: Well, I think that it's always been there. I mean, if we look at even the most classic stories, if we look again, if I go back to Greek myth and and you look at all of the old gods and whatnot, and you put them in the cultural context of the time, right? We look at some of those classic stories. You look at things like Aesop's Fables. You look at the Grimm Brothers. Um, You look at, you know, Dickens, since we're here in the holiday time. All of those things are there, but one of the biggest challenges we run into is that people have certain cultural beliefs based on their own own experiences. And often those things are not really based in truth and reality. So things that you wouldn't necessarily see and perceive in a lot of the older writings, you would have to understand them in the context of the time they were written. Because without that, you don't necessarily see or understand everything that's being laid out in the background because Certain language would be used. You know, if I'm sitting in 1880s London, and I'm start making certain, you know, certain comments about the urchins running in the streets, well, from a European perspective, we would have that thought that all of them were little, you know, European or were little white kids running around. But in London in the 1880s, that would not have been the case. It was there was a a great number of people coming from. Um, from the Middle East. There were a lot of people coming from Asia. You had a lot of people coming up from Africa because all of it's right there. And it was a great trading city. It was a shipping city. You had tons of people. You had this great mixing because it was an economic center. But if you don't know that and you just go reading the talking about the urchins in the street, you're not going to present that in a context either, other than what's already already in your head and what your perceptions are. So it's absolutely a way of doing it, but one of the things that I would also then encourage, especially for more historical fiction, especially pieces that were written in that time, they're now historical, but at the time they were contemporary, do a little bit of historical research to put things into context Because that's going to help round out that full experience. You know, it's
0: like having the. I think that, I think one of the things that fiction also helps us in in this age of technology, right, is um, it helps us be more. Creative thinkers not lazy thinkers because when you're reading something or at least when I'm reading something in fiction I'm creating that world in my head like I know what the characters look like I know I, I want and I am one of those people that likes enough to give me a framework of like the environment but I don't want every last little detail I know some people like the every last little detail I'm not one of those people but i think that in the age of being able to google everything and 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 you, we don't even remember telephone numbers anymore and that, that sort of thing this is to me this is one of the like the the great opportunities to create in your head
1: well a lot of the time from a writing perspective from a creative perspective writing is one of those techniques and one of those tools that we have to to us are available to us that fosters the most creativity. If you are watching something on the screen, yes, you're watching the story unfold, but you're also watching it from that particular viewpoint, the camera angle, the cuts. You see how all of that was done versus, you know, you get to notice the color of the lampshade. You get to notice all of that. If you look at and are just reading fiction, and often what we regard as literary fiction is the stuff that details down every inch the detail of everything that was in the room, none of which is important to the story. But it makes you feel better and increases the word count, but it it really trims it trims down the content of the story versus the – if you're reading much more speculative fiction or mysteries or things like this, genre fiction, they tend to go much right. lighter on the details. So that you're only getting those things that are important and critical to the story, which creates much more of a co-creation experience. Because as a reader, even if you pick up something I've written, you're not going to perceive it the exact same way that I had it pictured in my head when I wrote it. Because you're not going to see all the details, whether they were on the page or not.
0: And I think that's one of the reasons why avid book readers get pissed off when some movies are made. Because it's like that's not what was in my head, right? and And there's few exceptions to that. But I mean, I've definitely read a book and then gone to go see a movie. and it's like, this is this is not this is not the same. Daniel Lieberman in his book, Spellbound, talked about reading fiction might even be compared to the mystical experience. Sometimes the world created by an author can feel more real than ordinary reality. An expert storyteller calls upon mythical motifs to activate the unconscious, and these archetypal characters and events can be so compelling that when the book is put aside, everyday reality seems pale in comparison. And when you can do that, that's a good book.
1: <laughs> yeah, there's nothing better than getting that email that says, you suck, you kept me up till 5 in the morning, i got to go to work at 6. Um, <laughs> yeah, knowing that you've really screwed up somebody's day by keeping them up all night to read is one of the best compliments you're ever going to get, and it's kind of fun hate mail you love to get. I mean, I, so pulling out the quotes, um, hey, when you look at a lot of write, uh, writers, one of the the things that I think a lot of people don't get, and I'm I'm gonna pull I'm gonna pick on the Mark Twain version of the quote. I like Neil Gaiman's a little bit better sometimes, but Truth is stranger than fiction, but it's because fiction is obliged to stick to possibilities truth isn't. You know, it's the idea that fiction gets to explore, but one of the hardest things with fiction is ultimately if it's done well, you've got, even if you even if the reader doesn't see them, the the author has some hard boundaries. The things that make the world feel real or at least plausible. And if mm-hmm. you start breaking your own rules, you, rack, you, know, you rip the reader out of the story. Often things that are happening in the world around us every day, if an author was to put that into a book, no one would consider it plausible until the most bizarre things happen. And I right. think this is one of those other things with fiction is that it can give Reason and plausibility to things that otherwise are not reasonable.
0: Well, the, one of the things that the they were saying about children in particular, and reading the fairy tales to them, and and like allowing them to be immersed in that "quote unquote" magical world, is because it encourages. Diverging, d- divergent thinking, right? And that's what you need for creative po- problem solving. And that type of thinking isn't attributed to IQ. It's attributed to curiosity and persistence. And when, you, when you're when you reading things like a Harry Potter or something along those lines, I mean, there, there was that curiosity and there was that persistence. And that just was through the entire book series, it was very, very strong. And most of the stuff that I've read in that urban fantasy realm, that same thing, it's, it's all about the curiosity and the, and the persistence. And I think that that's, and that was probably the reason why I like the Nancy Drew too, because curiosity and persistence and, and, there's got to be a way to figure this out. I mean, that was the, the and, and as that relates to my corporate life, I mean, that's one of the reasons why I did so well in corporate was because it's like, you have the problem. Okay, there's got to be some way to solve this or some way to figure this out or some way to compromise. The, the, the thought of it just can't be done was very rarely in the first 10 thoughts in my head. It was like, okay, let's just figure this out. And I I really think that a lot of that was because of all the reading that I did as a kid.
1: Well, I would agree with that. And there's a couple of other things that, that I can tell as well often as well is with people that don't read, with people that don't really consume fiction and don't really allow themselves to experience other ideas or look at things in other ways, all too often tend to go to that it's impossible. The other thing that I tend to see them go to is the thing of when things go wrong and when you work in technology, things will eventually go wrong. But when those things go wrong, the first thing they jump to is who do we blame versus how do we resolve the problem? How do we get past this? We'll post mortem it later. How do we deal with the challenge? And one of the things that I've definitely seen is those people that are much more imaginative in that are often people who are readers. They consume a lot of fiction. They, they go through it, but they it's not just the pure consumption of it. It's people that also like to process it and understand it.
0: The other set of people that I think that do that really well are gamers, and I think that I mean there's a lot of storytelling in gaming now that definitely was not in gaming when I was a kid. <laughs> I'm dating myself here. I'm looking at you, Space Invaders, but um, <laughs> but now the, the the I mean the complexity in gaming now is just mind-boggling to me, and and so much of it is story-based. I mean, it's it's crazy.
1: And if you don't have a coherent story there, then the gameplay goes off-cliff. Yeah. Because people, it used to be, the story was kind of what held together the little snippets to give you a reason to go to the next, the next module, and often it was the hit here to skip the story. Now it's you're playing to get to the next component of the story.
0: So we're... You're coming up against the time. So I have a couple of questions for you. Where what were the three three books off the top of your head that you think have influenced you the most?
1: Um, Stranger in a Strange Land, Robert Heinlein. Um Why?
0: Oh, and you have to tell why.
1: Oh, wait, you didn't tell me that part. You didn't tell me <laughs> we were gonna do this either. Um, but stranger in a strange land, and it is the full unabridged you know multi thousand page book uh version that I recommend, even though most people would tell you to read the abridged um that particular book is such an exploration of people and character and belief systems um I mean, I'm a huge fan and have read all of the Heinlein universe, both the the y a s and and all of the stuff. But that particular book ties that universe together so well, and so if I was going to pick one that's the one I always you know kind of reference, even though it's one of those that you that people either love or hate um, but it's very much tied into belief systems and why people believe what they believe and so that that one right there is to me one that makes you look at. And challenge the world differently. Um, The the second one, which one do I go with? Um, Yeah, if I look, um, Arthur C. Clarke, Childhood's End. So, Childhood's End is you know hard sci-fi. It's 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 Arthur C. Clarke, and again, a lot of this is about belief systems, and I have not ever gone back and watched the movie that they made a couple of years ago. It's sitting on the list to watch, but I don't think it can ever step up to what's in my head. But again, this is one that's very much about belief systems. And it's designed to challenge those thoughts and and ideas around belief systems and looking at the characters and the people going through the story. That's one of those that I go back and reread. Give or take every five years or so. Um, the third one that is for me, and this is also more of a guilty pleasure, but it's one of, been one of my favorite books for since it came out, and it was an accidental discovery for me. Um, is Good Omens, Terry uh. Pratchett, Neil Gaiman. Um, and again, it is. There's a degree of the spirituality to it, and everything else. And it's, but it, it at the end of the day, it is a story about beliefs, and it's a story that looks at and kind of challenges those belief systems. But at the end of the day, it really is about the world we, you know, the world we live in, in a very obtuse way. Um, but that has always been one of my my personal favorites. Um, and it's one of those that that I have to read about every other year or so right now sitting on the on the nightstand for me to pick it back up again um, and go back and reread. And just for a bonus, just because what the hell, um, I would also throw in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Ah, awesome um, classic. Because that one is very much about the people, the characters, and the political mechanics, things like this. Um, but it's, again, written in that very satirical way, which is about what do you believe, why you believe. And, I mean, that's a that's a little bit of a consistent theme, I know, for me. Um, and there's been a lot of other books that are very influential, but that's probably the ones that, for me, influence a lot of the things that I enjoy and a lot of the ways I like to write.
0: So for me, I'm just going to throw out, not my favorite, but the, the book that had an impact on me because it scared the, it was the first book that I ever read that scared the life out of me. And it was It by Stephen King. Like that, that I mean, I'm sorry, The Shining by Stephen King. The it did the same thing, but The Shining by Stephen King was my first book that I was just like, is there anybody in the house? I'm not sure I should read this all alone. I was a kid. That was interesting. Um, to round off... However, talking about good storytelling, and even though this is some cheesy uh, '70s TV, I'm going to throw this in anyway because it can show you how even cheesy fiction can have an impact on your life. the The two television moments uh, that, uh, as a kid, that really left an impression on me was your um, was a episode of Wonder Woman little girl from Atlantia, Uh, she learned how to, she wore this necklace and these bracelets and when she put them together, she put a force field around her. And that was the first time I thought about, hey, I could create boundaries around me. So I thought that was pretty cool. So that was a great story in my head. And uh, there was an episode of The Incredible Hulk where uh, he was he was falling in love with a woman who had cancer, who was doing I think what would be called now biofeedback, where she was in mat- visualizing cancer her cancer cells be in, eaten up, and I thought, hey man, we can probably you know it, it matters what you think about with your health, and, and you can you can help heal yourself. So even even cheesy 70s TV shows can can add value to your life. And of course probably the most impactful story that I've ever had on my life was the 1977 Star Wars walking in and learning about the force. And that was like, everything was right in my world after I learned about the force. So that was definitely the, the, the biggest hit.
1: Well, since we're talking about the power of fiction and, and how can it impact you? Uh, I was doing an interview um, a couple of weeks ago with Sean McGuire, who, you know, writes Sean McGuire, writes as Mary Grant, does a lot of mysteries, does a lot of, a, a lot of sci-fi thriller type of stuff written for Marvel. And Shannon, um is very literal in everything she says and does. And she was talking about the fact that when she was a child, um, her parents had put a small black and white TV in her bedroom, put it on PBS, and took the little knob off so that she could watch PBS. And what they said was, okay, if it is before 12 o'clock, then that is fiction, but it's educational fiction. You can learn from it, but it's not real. If it's after 12 o'clock, that is nonfiction. It's documentaries. You can watch these, but understand that anything that comes on after 12 o'clock is real. Doctor Who came on at 7 p.m. And so for her, for years, Doctor Who was a documentary She's like, what was I supposed to know? That slime monsters weren't real in London? They already talked funny. So how am I supposed (laughs) to know that that's not real on on the other side of the ocean? And one could probably blame much of that on on some of Shannon's inspirations. But when we look at the overall power of fiction, just that power of storytelling, that power of idea, one of the things I think that's most important is, if you is, it gives us an opportunity to go through the experience, but it also lets us try to feel smart about ourselves. One of the best parts about doing mystery fiction or things like this is you want to tell a story so that at the end of it, people can feel either like, "Oh, I understand it. I know how to break this part. I've solved the mystery. I know what's going to happen." Or B, when they get to the end of it, they're like, well, that was not what I expected. Either way, that's a win, but it's made your brain process and think about things differently and try to, try to deconstruct the product. And, you know, again, it's, it's anything like anything else. If you learn the author's formula, then yes, after a couple of their books, you're going to feel really smart because you're going to have picked up on the clues because they do them often the same way every time. There, There is a formula for a lot of different types of genres of of books and stories. But there's still great power in that because you're thinking it through, you're paying attention to the details, you're reading for the experience. It is that act of co-creation. It's that act where you're taking the creations from someone else's head and you're building that world and creating a reality in your own. And if you can do that and have that ability to go through and experience things that most of us would never actually want to have happen to us in life. But you can experience those things through that story. This is this is part of that power that then will carry through the rest of our lives. Because to an extent, while the brain has filters and can understand, oh, I'm reading fiction or I'm reading nonfiction, um, often we see many more gray lines than there used to be. I'll, I'll put it at that. But I think that one of the biggest benefits that comes out is that level of discernment. You know, why would people do what they do? And if you can look at fiction and learn to step in to someone else's shoes to experience that and are willing to contemplate that, even if you don't agree with it, I think these are the things that, that create more empathy. They are things that open us up to problem-solving, open us up to negotiation, and all of these things create and hopefully enrich our lives.
0: Absolutely. It's not uh, lost to me, and I don't think I've mentioned this throughout this episode, that uh, I thought it was it, the oldest known library belonged to Pharaoh's, Pharaoh Ramsey II, who reigned in the 13th century. I mean, books have been around a long time and had the inscription over its portals that designated it the house of healing for the soul. So I think that's a good way to look at books. And I think that's a good way to end this episode. Well, thank you, James. Tell them where they can find your books.
1: Uh, the easiest way to find me or all the the things that I'm involved in is going to Um, That'll carry you to some of the other media I do, my, my podcasting show, um, the other network I'm one of the founders for, a whole bunch of other stuff. And of course, the books are there as well.
0: All right. Till next time, people. Thanks for listening and remember to find beauty every day. Thank you for listening to the Source Code Podcast. If you found this episode insightful and feel moved to, please leave a review and share it out with those you believe will find it helpful. You can check out my website for more information at www.adriannemcdonald.com. And for more of my more regular musings, connect with me on Facebook, Instagram, Threads, and LinkedIn. I hope you have a beautiful week.